0: Well, we're turning again to 1 Peter chapter 5, nearing the end. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll pick up our study in verses 5 through 7. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. And all the elders said, Amen. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. In uh, the first four verses of this chapter, Peter addressed a very specific group of people in, in these churches to whom he's writing. In those verses, he addressed those he called elders or pastors who were among these scattered Christians. And, and he gave them instructions, as we saw just a couple of weeks ago, about how they were to shepherd the flock of God. And so now when we come to verse 5, he turns his attention to others. And he says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. And I think it's great how like two of you admitted to be elder, being elders when, I, when we said amen. Um, when he says younger people, uh, in contrast to elder, as he's been describing it in those first four verses, he could just be saying younger people as a way of saying everybody else. Uh, It may not be necessarily a reference to age. It may just be a simple distinction between pastors and the rest of the congregation. And the point is to instruct the church to submit to its pastors. But it could also be that using the word elder uh, in verse 1 to 4 to refer to pastors led him also uh, to instruct younger Christians to submit to those who are older, those who are more mature in the faith. And either of those interpretations that you go with are just fine because both uh, concepts are biblical. The church should submit to its pastors and younger Christians should submit to older and more mature Christians. So either interpretation is acceptable. But not to mention the clause in the uh, the very next part, he says, Yes, all of you, no exceptions, no exclusions, be submissive to one another. All of you be submissive to one another. So lest we get too specific and be too concerned with particular groups, let's just throw a blanket statement out for everyone. Everyone should submit to each other in the church. That's the way we ought to live and function. And we've seen that throughout Peter's letter. He says, be clothed in humility. Humility is an absolutely necessary component of the Christian life. Without humility, you won't be able to submit to those who are in positions of spiritual authority. Without humility, you won't be able to submit yourself to a Christian who's been around a little longer than you. Just to be honest, without humility, you can't really submit to anybody. But most importantly, without humility, you aren't able to submit to God And with these verses that Peter has written, I think that's where we need to spend most of our time this morning. We're commanded, he says, to be clothed with humility. To be clothed with it. And it may be that when Peter wrote these words, he had this memory in mind from John 13. When Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments... And took a towel and girded himself. He clothed himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. To wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Jesus demonstrated the very kind of humility that he instructs his followers to live. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, humbled himself enough... To become a human, first of all. To even become a man. To step away from His glory. To step away from the praise that He received on His throne in heaven. And to become a human being and live among us. But even more that night when He wrapped Himself in a servant's towel, He gave us a, a glimpse into the magnitude of His humility. God demonstrated ultimate humility when he took on human flesh and lived among us. And now the command is given to you. You be clothed in humility. Take up that servant's towel and gird yourself. Clothe yourself with humility. And humility before men begins with humility before God. Why should we humble ourselves before God? I think Peter gives us three reasons, at least, here in the text, why we should humble ourselves before God. Number one, we must be humble to experience His grace. He says in that verse we considered last week, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. Those who see themselves as self-sufficient, Those who live for their own desires, those who feel no need for God's mercy, will receive no mercy. You cannot receive God's grace until you see yourself in desperate need of God's grace. That's why the gospel message can't begin with, Jesus died for you and loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. When you share the gospel, you have to back up a little further than that and start with, oh, by the way, you're a sinner and you've offended God and there's judgment to come. Because you can't receive the grace of God until you see your need for grace. Otherwise, you're full of pride. I'm fine. I've got pretty good deeds. I've lived a decent life. God will be okay with that. But first, before you can receive the grace of God, you must be humble. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. You see, if you have no awareness of your own deficiency, your own sinfulness, your own need for grace, you cannot receive God's grace. However, if you look at your life, your own sinfulness, your own standing before God in the flesh... And the cry of your heart is, oh God, I need you. I am sinful. I am in desperate need. I am lost. If that's the cry of your heart when you think of your condition, I have some very good news for you. God has grace for you. God has grace for those who humble themselves and recognize the need. Job twenty two twenty nine. He will save the humble person. He will even deliver one who is not innocent. That's good, because I'm not innocent. Psalm 138, verse 6, Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly, but the proud He knows from afar. And probably the clearest example of that that Jesus gave was the parable that we considered last week of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The one who comes to the temple to pray and he stands in the midst and and prays out loud and says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other sinners. I do this, I do that, I impress you in this way. I'm glad I'm not like this guy over here. And then you've got the tax collector who won't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beats his chest and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, surely this one went to his house justified because he was humble before God. He recognized his need. Now here's the danger, because we're good church people, right? We're here on Sunday morning. We see that uh, story. We hear that parable and we say, man, I sure am glad I'm not like that Pharisee. And you know what you've just done? You've made yourself like the Pharisee. It's dangerous. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. I'm humble and I'm proud of it. You see? But if you'll humble yourself before God, confessing your sin, acknowledging your desperate need for God, He will pour out His grace on you. He will forgive your sins. He will save your soul. So we must be humble to experience His grace. Number two, we must be humble to experience His exaltation. That seems backwards, doesn't it? He says in verse 6, "Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God." Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The hand of God, God doesn't have a, a literal hand. Uh, he's God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus has a hand, but that's not what he's talking about here. The hand of God is a reference to his strength, his omnipotence, his power. To be under the mighty hand of God is to be under His power. Now to the proud, to the sinful, the mighty hand of God is a hand of judgment. It's a terrible thing, it's a fearful thing to be under the hand of God. God's mighty hand will crush the wicked, it will bring them to destruction. If you're living in sin, you ought to be afraid of the mighty hand of God. But Peter says to humbly submit yourself under God's mighty hand. To those who humbly submit to God, his hand is not to be feared at all. That same hand that will crush the wicked will uphold and strengthen and support those who are humble. Those who are in his care. And he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. That he may exalt you. You see, the the kingdom of God operates totally contrary to the way the world works. Because the world says if you want to move up, you put yourself out there. You show everybody what you've got. You step on whoever you got to step on. You climb the ladder and be the very best you can possibly be in the world. You want to be exalted, you got to do it yourself. you got to work hard and get there. But Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's passive. It's not you doing it yourself. You think about the people that God has used all throughout Scripture and throughout history. Let's just take a few. You think about Moses. He's ex-royalty. The guy used to live in Pharaoh's house. He had a good education, good training, good raising. Then he killed a guy. And now he's an 80-year-old shepherd out in the wilderness, going to spend the rest of his days there. But that's the man that God chose to use to lead his people out of bondage. Think about Samuel. Samuel was a child. He worked for the priest when God spoke to him. But it was through Samuel that God spoke to and led his people. You think about David. He wasn't maybe as young as Samuel was, but he was still young. Just a shepherd. Yet God called him and had him anointed to be the king of Israel. And even though he committed murder and adultery, God still looked at David at his heart and said, David is a man after my own heart. And it's through David's line that God sent his Messiah, Jesus. Daniel. A teenager in exile, ripped away from his home and his family. The disciples, mostly fishermen, tax collectors thrown in the mix just for fun. You got hard working guys and you got a tax collector and you put them in the group together. What's going to happen? But these are the men that God used to, to, to start the church, to do the work of the church and to spread the gospel. Even to, so that we have it today. Jesus himself, as a human being, was raised in the home of a carpenter. So to be used by God, you don't have to make some name for yourself. You don't have to climb the ladder. You don't have to do this and that and whatever else the world says you have to do. If you want to be useful to God, if you want to have a good relationship with God, you need to humble yourself under the hand of God, under his power, his strength, and he will exalt you. Don't miss those last three words, in due time, in due time. Uh, Don't rush God. This is where the sermon turns and preaches to the preacher, because I get in a hurry. I like to get ahead of God. I know what I think God wants to do and what I think God should do, and I like to take steps to get him to do it. Just telling you the truth. But he says, humble yourself under his mighty hand, that he may exalt you. And that's going to happen. If you humble yourself before God, he will exalt you. But he will do it in due time. In his time. And that requires that we keep renewing ourselves in that humility. Because pride flares up and we like to tell God how to do his job. We must be humble to experience his exaltation. Number three, we must be humble to experience his care. Verse seven says, casting all your care upon him. Cares, what are cares? Cares are our worries, our anxieties, the things that keep you up at night. Anxiety, I think it's pretty clear that it's one of the most widespread issues of our day. Everybody's anxious. Suicide numbers are through the roof. A bunch of people are on pills. If you're not familiar with it, just Google it. Anxiety is everywhere. But I imagine you won't have to because you can look inside yourself and you're anxious about something. What worries you? What is it that makes you anxious? What cares stay with you throughout your week? It's been on your mind the last seven days. One of the most natural things in the world for us is anxiety. We have anxieties over, about our family. We have anxiety over friends. We have anxiety over our enemies. We have anxiety over our health anxieties over our finances. Maybe our church, you have anxieties about your past, you have anxieties about your future. You've got anxiety over all sorts of things. But if you work your way down and try to get to the root of any anxiety, what's at the bottom of it? Most of the time, I think it comes down to this felt need to be in control. We want the people in our lives to behave the way we want them to behave. We want the circumstances, the situations that we're in, to work out the way we want them to work out. And if we're not sure whether they will or not, that results in anxiety, worry, care. So if you work it down even further what's at the root of anxiety, we make our way back to where we started with this issue of pride. We want to be God. We want to be in control. So what do we do? When you have anxiety, when you have worries, when you have cares, which is probably almost always You must be actively humbling yourself before God. How? By casting all your cares, all your worries, all your anxieties upon him. In other words, trust God to be God. Trust God to be God. That word translated casting in verse 7. It's the same word used in Luke 19.35 when Jesus was about to ride in Jerusalem on the donkey. It says, and they threw their own clothes on the colt and set Jesus on him. They took off the very clothes they were wearing and threw them. They cast them on the back of the donkey. You know, that's exactly what God wants you to do with your anxiety. Whatever worries you. He wants you to take it off like an old coat and throw it on his back. Remember that he started this by commanding us to be clothed with humility. You can't put on that beautiful robe of humility without first taking off the old rags of anxiety. You can't have both. But get this the last phrase he says for he cares for you. You cast all your cares upon him why because he God almighty in heaven ruler of all the universe cares for you. This is actually a really good trade. I mean, you you rid yourself of anxiety, you clothe yourself in God-honoring humility, you do exactly what God wants you to do, and it turns out it's actually what you need. It's the best thing you can do. See, God's commands are always, always given for your good. Everything God commands you to do. When he says be humble, he's not telling you to be humble because he wants people to walk all over you. He's telling you to be humble because he doesn't want you to worry. He commands you to throw all your anxieties on him and why wouldn't you? Why would you carry around those anxieties if you have another option? It doesn't mean that all your problems go away. You still have to live in the world. Sorry. It just means you don't have to worry about them. You just trust God that he's telling the truth when he says that he cares about you and will take care of you. It all comes down to faith. It comes down to what you believe about God. Is he telling the truth or not? Because He says very clearly that He cares for you. Now, will you believe it? We know it's true. We know it's true. We just have a hard time grasping it and actually living in it. Listen, let me encourage you with some scriptures. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Paul says, Be anxious for nothing. Okay, what's the alternative? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your request be made known to God. Okay, what will happen if I do? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Here's another one, Romans 8:28. And we know that all things, how many things? All things, work together for good, to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Psalm fifty five twenty two. cast your burden on the Lord and He shall, He what? Shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 56, 3 and 4, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise His word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. We know it's true. Matthew 6, one more passage. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. That's a command. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. He gives us some examples. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Now, listen, those are birds. They smack into our windows. We hit them with our cars. They annoy us when it's six o'clock in the morning and they're chirping outside your window. Are we not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature, Jesus says? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, again, do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Okay, well what do I do? He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So what should you concern yourself with when you have a flare of anxiety? Should you dive into the problem and try to fix it on your own? No, you say, what's God's concern? What's the concerns of His kingdom and His righteousness? If you do that, you say, what does God want? And you throw it all on Him. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things shall be added to you. Again, that looks like a pretty straightforward promise. They shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, you got enough on your mind today to be worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. My wife will tell you that one of my most used lines, and it's probably one of the most annoying lines in our home, is, let's just wait and see. That's not always the answer she wants to hear. It's not the answer that Joel wants to hear. And it's not often the answer that I want to hear, but it's sort of become a knee-jerk reaction. Let's just wait and see. There is peace that comes with trusting God to do what God said He would do. That doesn't just apply to the individuals. That applies to our church. If we have a need here in our congregation, if we know that God has called us to do a certain kind of work and we really don't see how that we're, we could do it in our own strength, well, that's actually a good thing because we shouldn't do it in our own strength. We seek God's kingdom, we seek His righteousness and let Him take care of the rest. God has said that He cares for you. And I doubt that any of you would deny it that it's true. Does the way that you live your life or the way that you hold on to your worries say that you really aren't living like you believe that he cares for you? God cares for you. You just have to believe it and live like it. And if you ever doubted that God cares for you, think of the care that he showed in becoming a human being, living sinlessly in your behalf. We've all broken God's law, we're sinners, we deserve His judgment, but Jesus comes along and He fulfills the law. He pleases God with His life in a way that we never could, and He does it in our behalf. Think of the way that He showed His care in dying for your sins. No one's ever cared for you like that. To take a beating, to be mocked and killed. And Jesus did it, not just experiencing the pain inflicted by men, but He bore also the wrath of God for your sins. Every bit of hell that you deserve was poured out on Jesus when He was on the cross. He took it for you. He cares for you. Think about His care when He rose from the dead just to prove that He really was telling the truth about Himself and that He defeated even death for you. Promising resurrection for you. Think of His care in giving you the Holy Spirit so that you always know that He's with you. Think of His care in promising to take you to be with Him for all eternity when this life is over. If you ever have trouble believing that God cares for you, you just step back from your circumstances. You step back from whatever's filling your vision at the moment and you look at Jesus for a little while. Oh, you can't deny that God cares for you. I think God has done well in proving that He cares for you. We must be humble to experience that care. A prerequisite to experiencing the full blessings of God is humility before God. If you're a Christian and you don't really like where your Christian walk is at the moment, you feel like there's been times when you've been closer to God. He seems distant. All the problems are kind of mounting. Let me just tell you that humility is a prerequisite to experiencing God's blessings. You can't be as close to God as you want to be if you're holding out on him, wanting to be in control of your life and your circumstances. You have to cast that on him. Surrender it to him and acknowledge that he does care for you. So how is it that you need to humble yourself before God today? What is it in your life that you've been holding on to? You've been trying to maintain control and you have not entrusted it to his care. Whatever that is, you need to bow your head and you need to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry for trying to hold on to this thing. Here it is. I'm trusting you. If you're you're lost, if you haven't been born again, you've got to humble yourself to experience His grace and be saved. God has no mercy for those who don't recognize their need for mercy. If you say, Oh, I'm good enough, my good outweighs my bad. You won't have grace when you stand before God. You'll receive judgment. But if you will humble yourself and say, my only hope is Jesus, God has mercy for you. He'll forgive you. He'll give you eternal life. If you've already been born again, you must humble yourself to experience the fullness of God's blessings in your life. So pray. Let's pray. Give your cares to Him and then leave them in His care. And every time you're tempted to take them up again, just go right back to your knees and ask God for a humble spirit. Trust God to be God. Because He does care for you. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. If the Spirit of God has brought something to your mind this morning that you need to repent of, Some way that you're holding out on giving God complete control of your life and circumstances. Right now, right where you are, you need to repent. Confess it to God. And just entrust it to his care. Surrender yourself completely to him. If you're lost, you're still in your sin. And he's made you aware of that today. You need to humble yourself and repent, confess your sins to God, put your trust in Jesus alone. He'll forgive you, He'll give you eternal life. And you'll be saved. Father, we thank you for your word and for this time together this morning. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts. We wouldn't leave here unchanged. Help us to trust you with our lives. In Jesus name. Amen.